Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. All right, what's happening, everybody? Lights out. Podcast fans, everybody, the usual suspects right here. But the other one we got, a, a gentleman I used to fight with a long time ago back in the WEC days. You remember that stuff way back in the day? Gabe Ruder, Gabe, what's happening, brother? Tell me how you been, brother. Good. What's going on, Chris? Uh, happy to be on the show. And uh, things are well, man. Just uh, uh, teaching. I've got a kids class going on right now with one of my kickboxing coaches uh, here at the gym at Kaiju MMA in, in uh, beautiful Tarzana, California. Uh, things are good. You know, I've got a, a beautiful family. I'm going to turn 44 on Sunday. Uh, things are as good as can be for, for all things considered. Uh-oh. And that's great. Um, so where exactly is Tarzana? Cal- is that anywhere near uh, Lemoore, California? We used to fight WC together. I, I'm about uh, probably three and a half hours from Lemoore. Um, I, I would say for listeners, probably about uh, 20 minutes from Hollywood, California. Oh, yeah, and probably depending on traffic, five hours from LAX. It's 20 miles from LAX, but I mean, <laughs> traffic in LA, we you know, it's notorious, so yeah, yeah. okay. okay. Oh, no, definitely, we're glad to have you aboard. Uh, that reminds me, I'm gonna have some jujitsu questions for you from you know, Eddie Bravo to Mark Lehman to there's a lot of interesting people out there that you could probably give us some firsthand stuff on, but I'm gonna hand it off to Mike. So he can start with your MMA career, which is also uh, well worth the time here. Thanks, Gabe. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Gabe, just so you know, like, we, we're doing a career overview for yourself. So all I'm asking is sometimes guys would be like, oh, yeah, that fight. And then it moved into this fight, which I did this and this fight, that I did that. And sometimes there's, like, certain facts about those fights that we like to kind of, you know, explore a little bit. So we like to take our time. No problem. Okay, so, hey, Chris, let me just ask one question. I know you like to kind of get in with how you got started. So let me just get, okay. get this thing going a little bit. October 18, 2002, you are 0-0, and you get put up against it, – it's a WEC. It is. You get put up against uh, Sam Wells, who is 7-6 and six with a ton of experience. It seems to me that, like, maybe that's not the opportune fight to have your debut with. How does something like that take place? And then, Chris – it's your turn. Okay. Um, well, so uh, actually, uh, there was some Midwest database back in the day that that had Sam like he had like something like forty fights at that point. Like it's a Midwest circuit type thing. But regardless, like uh, um, it's possible. Oh, oh, in in two thousand two, you didn't if you were given a fight, it didn't matter who it was. You just took the fight because to get an opportunity to fight was what you what you were given. Um, and you know, I, I think Chris probably had some moments where. He would go to an event and they'd be like, oh, your opponent's not here, but we got this other guy. And you'd be like, <laughs> I, I'm here. I mean, what am I going to do? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, like as far as uh, experience wise, Sam was drastically more experienced than me, but I, I wasn't in it. To, to say the least. Again, like in 02, it wasn't like this is going to be a career or that I was going to put on Instagram and, and, you know, get chicks and do all of that. It was, I wanted to test myself to see if I could do it. Like, uh, I, I, like the, the time frame is, is it was not a, I think I made $250 for that fight. Um, you know, there was no money and there was no, no notoriety. You did it because you wanted, well, I guess everyone does things for different reasons, but for me, I just wanted to see if I could actually do it. 
You know, I'd done Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments. I'd done kickboxing tournaments. I actually did a San Shao, uh, uh, the, 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 the Kung Lee. Uh, yeah, the wrestle, the wrestle uh, with the throws. You can do throws. And I did a tournament like that. And then I, I remember going to Japan. I, I trained in Japan for two months. Trained with like all the Grabaka guys and all like that. that uh, a lot of the guys that were fighting in Shudo. And I with grappling, I did really well with them. And I was just like, I want to see if I can fight. Let's just see if I can do it. And, and you know, the promoter... Promoter had Sam coming out with another guy from the Midwest, and I'm like, I have a fight. Like outside that, that's all I really cared about. Now, describe the fight a little bit. I know Sam actually. We booked Sam in, in Hook and Shoot yeah. earlier, and uh, you rematched him later. So the first one had to be intriguing. How'd that go? Um, so I, I really like Sam, and, and and we're still friends to this day. We still talk. Um, I got bronchitis. Uh, the week of the fight because uh, again that time frame we didn't really know how to train so my 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 jiu-jitsu coach was like we were sparring on Thursday like like hard sparring on Thursday and I felt really <laughs> run down and like the very next day I woke up and I'm hawking out a lung you can ask Dan uh, Dan Camarillo was there he shared, shared the hotel with me I'm hawking out a lung all Friday night like and he was so pissed off we had, uh, we were actually we uh, he fought uh, Sam's training partner and uh I went out there. I just, I took Sam down. I got mount. He rolled me. And that was about all I had in my gas tank. I got back to my feet, threw some really weak leg kicks and uh, Sam cracked me in the face. And I think that was pretty much it. It was over so, probably a couple of minutes. So in essence, it's your first fight. That's, yeah. that's your hardest one. It really is yeah. your hardest one. Yeah. And he, Miguel, it's his first fight, and he's doing pretty well. He starts out super aggressive, so aggressive that he shoots across the cage for a takedown. And they both, because he's running so fast, they bounce off the cage wall like a slingshot. <laughs> and like they kind of almost go to the center of the cage because the force is so much. And after, after Wells, who's probably, like you said, he's probably got about 40 fights, and that is absolutely believable. That is not a statement that's ridiculous. That's actually in the realm of possibility. Um, he just kind of timed Gabe's movements and, you know, caught him with caught him with a decent punch. Just to fill in here, his training partner, Dan, Dan Camarillo, fought Justin Weeman. And you had a good, solid card there. Gilbert Melendez is on that card. Tim Kennedy yeah. was on that card. So, But uh, well, that's um, a WEC. Oh, that's they, DeVito. So, yeah, doing good yeah. things. On your first fight, it's a nice card to be on, bro. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, like, I, for me – I was just, it was, you know, it was a fight to be on. I didn't, I mean, now, you know, the WC, like at that point, Scott Adams, uh, uh, because of, of, of his connection with uh, Chuck Liddell, uh, had a lot of connections with other fighters. So he would bring in really, I mean, the Chris Lytle fought there. I mean, uh, like, uh, you know, I mean, like legit talent in the WC. And I, I, I'm fortunate that was my first fight. Um, and then to then become a champion of that organization um, was something that at that point, like, again, I was going to fight once and that was it. Like I was, I'm going to test myself and see if this works. And then I was like, I lost. <laughs> so it wasn't that good of a test. I want to see if I can do it again. Yeah, uh, he, He's definitely hundred percent accurate with all that. You know, um, I remember I, I got probably 15 to 18 fights that are not on my record from the Midwest. Cause they went back through and said, none of these were sanctioned, took them all away. So yeah, none of those counted. And like you said, you, you know, back when you started fighting, you know, me 98 and you in 2002, there was very little money. There was very little fame. If you did it for that, you're an idiot. You know, if, if that's what you were wanting, you're really low. You're aiming really low. You know what I mean? So you did it because you were a fighter. There's no other really explanation. And 
And, I mean, it's really cool back then. Everybody really loved the sport. There's some guys now who are in it because they're good, they're athletic, they're talented. People liked it back then, and that's the only reason you did it. And if not, I mean, you, you don't want to be in the gym all the time. There was no money, so it was different. So my question to you is, like, how did – you kind of covered them, but how did you get involved? Like, what was your athletic background? What did you do, and what made you want to get involved with the fighting? Man? Yeah, so um, I, I, I remember when I was 16, uh, my friend Sean, uh, he calls me – he calls me, he's like – so I was really into to, to traditional martial arts um, and I was doing Kung Fu at the time. And my buddy, Sean, Kung Fu Sansu, one punch, one kill. I, I really believe that like, if I, if I punch you, I would kill you. It Hell was, yeah. Like, like really genuinely, you know, but look. I'm, I I'm, still I'm, believe I, it. I, I, I still in my heart of heart believe it. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, my buddy, Sean, uh, he calls me up and he's like, my dad, his, um, his dad watched this thing. And he's like, you have to come over. There's going to be another one on. It's called the UFC. Um, everybody fights. The guy, and so and, and, uh, Sean was 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 Mexican. So he's like, the guy who's winning it is Mexican, and he's 145 pounds, and he's destroying everybody. And so Sean, you know, like he's trying to like because he's Mexican. Mm-hmm. The guy has to be Mexican. That's obviously because his lineage is he's a badass, of course. So yeah, of uh, course, yeah. go in there, and I'm like, uh, this guy's Brazilian, and he's like, uh, he's about 200 pounds, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, you know, the neighbors, yeah. Brazil's just a, an, an island of Mexico, right? Uh, but then, uh, you know, we, we watched the whole tournament and I'm just completely like enamored. Like this is, this is, you know, this is a blood sport. This is the real stuff that I watched as a kid. Like I'm watching it for real and completely blown away. And I remember going back to my Kung Fu instructor and I'm like, uh, Master Stacer, um, I watched this UFC thing and, and he lost his mind. That's just garbage. We have anti-grappling in Sansu. Like, and I was just like, as mad as he got about it, made me think like, there must be something about it because he's getting so irate about it. And uh, uh, I moved to San Francisco and I got a tattoo. And the tattoo artist, his name's Troy Denning. He's actually uh, a pretty well-known tattoo artist. Um, he had a ripped gi on, uh, in, on, on uh, his studio. And, I'm, and you know, it's the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu logo. And I'm like, you, you train with the Gracies? And he's like, yeah, I train with Hal Gracie. And I'm like, dude, I know that is. Because at that point, I had rented every video that was possible. And there was this place in, in, uh, in San Francisco called Japan Video, which had everything. It had IVC. It had uh, the, the, you remember that, that spot. the Russian tournaments, like the 32-man Russian tournaments. Yeah, the absolute. Everything there. And, like, I was just this massive fan. And I knew who Hal was from Extreme Fighting. And so I went in there and I got tooled up. Uh, I got tapped multiple times by this little Filipino guy. And I asked him how long he'd been training. He goes, six months. And I go, I am broke. I have no money, but give me that contract and I'm going to do this. That's amazing. So, I started so, so Chris, how, about street, how about street fights? Any, a big street fighting background? Um, not really. No, as a kid, I was into skateboarding and playing music. That was uh, really like, you know, I mean, look, I got into to, to fights, but they weren't really, I, I actually, a, a lot of my friends were four years older than me. And so to entertain them, they'd be like, Gabe, go fight this kid. And I like just random kids like they and then like the other kid was like, like would always be older than me, like would push me in it, but like not real fighting. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then it, it helps. Uh, I started doing jiu-jitsu tournaments. And uh, uh, I would, I hate saying it, but at that time frame, um, we got in a lot of street fights, a lot of street fights at that point. Like it was. Okay. So yeah. at this time, we, I, I've talked to several people like from the California, Carol Parisian. I mean, to, to name one person. 
And he said at the jujitsu tournaments at that time, there were a lot of off the mat fights. And sometimes it was almost kind of like rival groups and it was just uncontrollable at times. Is that true? It was the Wild West, like really just an insane group of, of young. I, I hate to say it like because now as an instructor, I look at like the, the environment that I was in. They, like if we got into a street fight, whether it was in a bar or, or I, I remember I lost a, a jiu-jitsu tournament and we're driving back in the van. We had it in L.A. and we're, we, our, our school was in the Bay Area. We're driving back and incidentally, the guy that I fought stopped at the same gas station as I did. And one of my coaches go, you should probably fight him right now. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you lost him at the tournament. Go, go get your, go get it back. And I'm wow. like, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to. And I like walked up to him like, a, like, a, like an idiot. Like just to, comp- I'm like, I'm so embarrassed even saying the story now. But I'm like, what's up, man? Like, you, you want to do it again? Like, I like just. And then everyone like, <laughs> up and uh, him and I became friends after the fact. But like, reflecting back, like that was the environment at that time. It was stupid, and it was okay. Not Gabe. Martial arts, not the idea that we we understand it. All well, right, so, Ra- Ra- Ralph is kind of like known as a bad boy kind of thing, right. you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, Hold just up. a little bit. So, Gabe, at this time, how many of your friends were pretending to have Brazilian accents <laughs> that were clearly not from there? Way too many. Way, bro, way too bro, many. trust me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, bro, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was like one of the most amazing things here in the Midwest. I'm just sitting here like... <laughs> Yeah, you're from like Southern Illinois, dude. You know, like <laughs> you struggling with the English language three months ago, we communicated fine. Yeah, I know it's uh, definitely uh, the time frame was was insane, and um, I, you know, I'm, I'm thankful in a lot of ways. Like, uh, Helps was a very very rough environment. It was not. It was like it was sink or swim. You were not. You could not be a weak a weak person in that gym. Like, it was definitely like. Every, every class was the world championships and everybody tried to beat everybody up. And like, but the other part about it is like, when I, like with my students now, like when this is how it was, it, we'd go to, to class and everyone would beat everybody. And that was all you did. You don't want to help them. You don't want to get anybody better because even if we got better then they would beat you. So you kept all your stuff to yourself. You just crush them and then walk off the mat. Like it, like, it was, but I mean, me at 22, I was like, this is, this is heaven. This, yeah. yeah, it was like, it was almost like a like a like a biker gang thing, except it was done with geese. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Now, so, I'll, I'll, go ahead, Mike. I, man, dude, let me get this thing going. Let me get this thing going. <laughs> so, in essence, were you ever at any of the tournaments where Goker and Hickson had words? Uh, I was not at those. Um, th- those, I no, I was not at those. But okay, because I, mean, I, I, I heard several people like, well, I should say I several. Know. Carol Parisian said that Hickson wanted no part of it. That, 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 not me, Carol. <laughs> and he might be a little biased. Just I, saying. There, there's going to be a bias there. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I will say this. I've known Hickson for, for many, many years. And that man is not afraid of anybody. Like, wow. not, like I, I, don't, I don't see that. Um, and, and like, they, like um, the, the, the GoCorp crew was, was, was kind of notorious um they, they, they were a great group and they would they would footlock everybody and because that like everyone would say it was cheap and I, I was always like i mean if they're tapping people there's gonna be something about it but i wouldn't say that too loud in front of Hal or anybody else but i don't think hickson was ever afraid of anyone 
yeah, I was always surprised you never fought Sakuraba, never fought, you know, talk smack about Coleman being too weak for him. That's why they would never fight. And, you know, of course, there's Goker and none of those fights ever took place. I think a lot of that was um, so I'm, I'm so close friends with Henry Aikens, one of the black belts that I've known since I was a white belt. And I remember it was they were just trying to negotiate, negotiate money. And it's just like Hickson thought he was worth, unfortunately, more than he was worth. And he just kept prolonging it to try to get more money out of the Japanese. And, you know, I, I, uh, I especially like after he beat uh, Henzo, like, you know, and broke his arm, I'm like, oh, here it comes. It's going to happen. And then yeah. they, it just, I, I, but again, like I, I, I'm not in any, in any position <clears throat> to talk about it, but again, I've known the man for many, many years and I've never known him to, to, to back down from anybody. So I, I don't really know enough about uh, the, the, the uh, uh, Gokor Hickson scenario. Well, Gabe, I, I, Mark Coleman and I talk quite often and yeah. I threw the cables on him about three days ago about like, you know, Hickson and he, he cut me off mid sentence. And he said, I've had one of my hips pop out six times. He's like, I know what you're trying to do. It's not happening. I, I'm done. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, you know, I tried, I tried. So even, you know, 20 years past his last fight, I'm, I'm still trying to you know, throw some gas well, on that fire. Listen, listen, I, I will say this um, about being a fighter. It never leaves you. It never, like, and and there's, I, I'd be lying if I said there's not every once in a while. I'm like, I could do another one. I'm, I'm going to trim 44 on Sunday. I've had my neck fused. I've had my back fused. I still can't breathe out of my nose. And I'm still like, I can do another one. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to MMA. I just turned 47. It doesn't, it didn't go away yet. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get this back to MMA. So, Chris, yeah. you also yeah. fought on the early WEC shows. Yes. Were you surprised at how much talent throughout the country the WEC was able to bring to their events? Uh, you know, that's one thing I was going to ask Gabe if he realized how big it was. Because, you know, I was I, – it was different back then. I mean, you know, the, the UFC was big, and then, you know, things in Japan were big. Uh, you know, I fought in hook and shoot, which was big. King of the Cage was real big then, and, and WC, that was pretty much it, really, you know what I mean? But, I mean, going out to WC, you know, I didn't recognize a lot of names when you get out there. Like, man, there's – I knew how good, you know, in America, out in the West was pretty much the best people. You know, California really had some of the best. That was before, you know, American top team, and those had really <laughs> blossomed. Florida wasn't a hotbed. You had a, a few decent people in New York, and then just little spots. Iowa, for some reason, was some of the best in the world. I mean, California was really good. And so just going out there, there was guys who I didn't really know well, but they were all – you saw really quick they were really good fighters. Out there. And they got them early, too. Like, they yeah. they did yeah. a really good job of understanding of who the prospects were. And WEC, in my opinion, the early matchmaking is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, from yeah. you know, it shows that – there was regional sections in the sport on the early days, because just like the card we just talked about where Gabe made his debut, Tim Kennedy, you know, there were, there were guys there. It's like on my cards, you could have Chris Lytle, Aaron Riley, Dave Manet, you know, our guys. And then there were their guys. I never booked Gilbert Melendez. You know what I mean? But yeah, spectacular stuff. And then when it all comes together, you need WEC is because one of those companies that actually is able to pull talent from those other groups, you know? So, and that's what made them, you know, a cut above. All right. Okay. So you, hold on, real quick, Gabe. Had you been enough a fan of? You were a fan of sport, but I mean, did you realize how big it was to be on the WBC for your first fight, or was it just like that's just the, the regional place that I'm close to? Let's do it. 
you know what? I, 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 uh, at the time, the big promotion was King of the Cage in California. Yeah, like King that's of the true. Cage had had the most market value, and that's when they were starting to work with Pride. And and again, Japan was the was was basically the only place to, to make money, especially yeah. if you were a lighter fighter. Like I, the UFC had already cut the lightweight division, so like <laughs> you know, your options were Crazy. the regional shows, and then King of the Cage was doing the cross uh, uh, thing with Pride, and so like that was the like that was the big show. WC was, you know, I mean, it was a good show, but it wasn't like uh, I hate God, I, I hate saying this now, but um, it would it could have been Gladiator Challenge, and I mean, you know, I I fought on Gladiator Challenge too, like my next fight was in Gladiator Challenge, but at that point it was uh, we didn't really have an idea of what it was, and then you know, then we see the the growth of it, and like you know, then then they got uh, an HD Net deal, and like that was huge, like to for for anything to to, to be on TV at all. This is yeah. tough. This is you know HD. I, People don't even know what HGNet is, probably. Um, I didn't know people who had it, but uh, um, you know, it was it was a big, big deal. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm fortunate that I got an opportunity to, to fight in that organization as my first fight, and I became a champion in that organization. So here we go. Second fight, February 16, 2003, Gladiator Challenge 14. Um, you fight Josh Gardner. Yeah. So was this you obviously beat him, and it ends in the first round. Was this a bit of redemption? Did you feel redemption for your first fight? Um, yeah, I just I felt like uh, okay. Um, I told my my coach I'm not I'm not training hard like up to the fight because I felt like I, that got me sick. Um, I was not sick. Um, and Josh at that point I think had one fight, so I felt like okay, we're we, you know we both we're both getting into this is essential, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I, but. It, more than anything, it just ignited something in me. I can't explain it, but I, I just, I loved it. I loved uh, uh, the ability to draw something out of me that I didn't know really existed. I mean, uh, fighting is is, I, is the most primal and, and real thing you can do. And then doing it in a cage as a, as a, as a, as a spectator sport, it just, uh, it, it's like nothing else. And uh, my second fight was like, and obviously winning, Winning feels way better than losing. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so you also had left Health's gym to train at Millennia Jiu-Jitsu. Um, actually, I did my second fight. I was still at Health's. And then my third fight, I had left to Millennia. Yeah, because they announced you out of Millennia Jiu-Jitsu for that fight. It, it couldn't have been. I wasn't at Millennia yet. Really? Yeah. Now, let me ask you, is that Roland Saria's Gladiator Challenge? Is that the promotion? In no, no, that's uh, uh, it's uh, Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Yeah, well, okay. I did uh, raging the, the the. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep, yeah, I, I I got to mix up. Okay, cool, good. Because I mean, just just to give props to the card, Mac Danzig, Joe Stevenson, Nate Quarry, Jason Lambert. So yeah, another another card with with good talent from the West Coast. Yeah. Solid solid talent. Okay, um, so you get one win. You fight, I mean, it's you fight on WEC 7, Carlos Cordero, obviously another first round victory. You go on to WEC 11, Steve Ramirez, another first round victory. And they put you up against a WEC 12, they put you in a title fight against perennial crowd favorite, Olaf Alfonso. Olaf, I remember that fight. <laughs> Dude, so, wild man. I've for people at home that don't know who Olaf is, he is 110% a cartoon character. That's kind of come to life. His nose is over he here. He takes yeah. incredible amounts of damage and, didn't and somehow perseveres. And his biggest weapon is taking your abuse in order to get you tired so he can get his hand raised. So why don't you bring us through that bout? 
You guys both fought on that card. Olaf is 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 a a crazy man, like genuinely. I, I remember uh, th- th- we did like a presser beforehand, and he's like, "Yes, my brother wanted to take you to the desert and kill you, but I said I would finish you in the cage before we kill you." And I'm like, <laughs> "It's a fight, man. Like, what what do you, like what are you gonna say?" He's like, "I heard you talk about my mother." I'm like, "What?" I, I, I seems I, like a nice I, woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I have anything to say about your mother. I don't even. I, but yeah, like he was really like wild-eyed and crazy. Uh, his nickname uh, was the Meth Jesus because that's pretty much what he looked like. Oh, he looked and uh, um, but the fight went really well, man. I uh, I broke my hand, I think, on my first punch, um, but it landed clean. Um, I took him down. I choked him unconscious. The referee, uh, I think, it was Herb Dean actually. But, no, it was uh, Josh Rosenthal. Josh Rosenthal, yeah, yeah. Um, he fell asleep with his eyes open. So, like, and, and, you know, he's got that big wild hair. And so I hold on, held on to the choke. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not letting this go. Because if I let this wild man go, he's going to kill me. So I got to wake up. Mm-hmm. And he's known for that. And, yeah, yeah. So, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm holding, holding, holding. And then he's out finally. And then uh, Josh, you know, pulls me off. And I celebrate. And then I look. And Olaf is, was out for probably about three minutes. Um, and regardless of, of of how crazy he was, I was like, did I really hurt somebody? Because the reality is, like, I'm like, you know, a, a fight's a fight, and you don't want to really hurt anybody. But it was frightening. The, it was a scary knockout, or scary, scary, not knockout, but a scary I mean, uh, yeah, submission. I mean, yeah. these were, were were working on him for a while, and uh, but yeah, then I won the title, and they, they wanted Olaf to win. I mean, the reality is, is Olaf, you know, he fought uh, Gil Melendez, and Gil uh, finished him. I think either finished him in the third or uh, decisioned him. But that they wanted Olaf to win that fight because, dude, he's all fun. I mean, he's really entertaining to watch. Like, and, and he sells a ton of tickets. Guys sells a ton of tickets. He takes punishment for days, and he does not stop. You have to you have to sleep with him. That's the only option you have. So um, I would say he looks a lot more like uh, Rasputin or something, you know, just like the, the big monk. <laughs> it, it was what he reminded me of. it. I just remember talking to him. He was like, yeah. All I've been doing for training is meditating, Chris, and really focusing on what I have to do. I'm just like, what was he talking? You know, yeah. you're fighting tonight, right? And he's like, I really, you know, just I meditate for hours. That's how I do. I was like, all right, I don't, I just didn't know whether whenever he would say stuff, I didn't know whether to believe him or not. You know, like is he just saying this for the show, to or what? He just you you couldn't really put your finger on what he was doing. Crazy man, genuine crazy. Yeah, yeah. kind of like the white. Charles Crazy Horse Bennett. Uh, yeah, I, you know, yeah. Man, not as many fights. Uh, not as many fights, but uh, I, 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 uh, I always felt that 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 Charles wasn't like he was more institutionalized and had done a lot of drugs, whereas Olaf was just genuinely crazy. It was kind of like a homeless person <laughs> that could fight. You're right. Yeah, You're like, right. He wasn't fighting. He'd be, yeah, he'd be like chasing birds and like. Like yeah, like Bernie's underwear and like yeah, like, yeah. a little a little of that Matt Horwich. Yeah, um, I don't know if you remember I, him. I think uh, uh, Chris did it on the on the head, like that Rasputin crazy man, like just yeah, yeah, yeah wearing clothes of like mice skins that are sewn together. Yeah, that's... he has a mice skin. Yeah. Doesn't I'd be surprised if he does. All right. So at WEC 13, you were supposed to fight Jason Maxwell, and it got postponed to WEC 14. What was the reason for that postponement? I don't remember. I genuinely okay. don't remember. Um, 
I, uh, yeah, I can't. All right, so in my opinion, the WEC 14, Jason Maxwell, even though he's, he's got about a 500 record at this point, he is 110% legit. And tough mother, mother. I mean, like really genuinely. And in this, in my opinion, you have not left the first round yet. But in my opinion, this was probably your first true test. And to the WEC's credit, they didn't send you to the Wolves. They were bringing you along as well. Well, actually, before I fought Maxwell, I, I fought Sam. And I felt like that was my first test because it went to uh, it went to a decision, and I won the first round. The second round, Sam beat me. No, up. no, you, you fought Sam Wells at WEC seventeen. I did. Yeah, really? yeah. Okay. Got the records. <laughs> All right, hey, I, I'm the I, MMA detective. Well, yeah. the, fight, the fight right before was the Olaf fight, so okay. that that could also have been well, a little bit of the title well, fight. Olaf had holes. It wasn't. I mean, I, I kind of, I don't say went through Olaf because I mean he was, I mean he was there. But when I got his back, I, I stopped him. I think he was in the first. It was three minutes in. But yeah, um, you haven't left the first round yet, and now you got Jason Maxwell. When, who later on, has he went over Chris Ly or uh, Jens Bolberg? He'd already. Beat, oh, he already beat Jens Bolberg. Yeah, and so like when they hit me up, they're like, "Oh, hey, listen, um, you know, after the Olaf fight, we're gonna we're gonna give you some real uh, real tests." And I'm like, okay, great. You know what I mean? Like, let's, that's fair. And they're like Jason Maxwell, and I was like, oh crap, he just knocked out Jens. I was like, oh <laughs> wow, that like. And again, people don't get that Jens Pulver was the best lightweight in the world. Like, that was a big, big deal. Like, I, now admittedly, um, I think uh, big upset. Uh, it was, especially because Jason, in comparison, like uh, his his uh, you know his record. But I mean, it was a big, big deal. And so like I. I had to, I knew I was stepping up, and so I trained super hard for the fight. Um, Mac Danzig was actually uh, in my corner for that fight, and Mac had trained with Jason a bunch, and Mac had told me that Jason was a bit of a head case. Uh, Monty <laughs> said that. Monty and, Cox confirmed that. Yeah. And uh, um, so at the at the weigh-ins, Jason like got in my face and was like mad dogging me, and like just and I put my hand out I, with the biggest smile possible. I went, "Hey, man." Thank you so much for taking the fight. I really appreciate it. It's so awesome of you that I'm getting an opportunity to fight someone at your level. Thank you so much. And like, I was, and I, I don't, he said after the fight that, that, that whole night he was like, why was he so calm? Why was he <laughs> caught? Like, and like, so after the fight, that's what he told me. He's like, dude, I don't know why. I thought you were going to come in mad dogging me and we're, I was going to see your soul. But instead I saw a really, really nice jovial guy that like, you know, was going to fight and it threw me off. I don't know if that was like, look, I, I'm taking my win for the win, but, but, uh, uh, you know, it helped. Yeah, yeah. I, I will take it. I will take it any psychological side of it that, that, that will, will benefit. I'll take that as well. All right. So now at this time you're training with Pacifico MMA and, uh, team millennia. No, um, you know what, dude? No, no. Listen, so, my notes are not wrong. Yeah. So you're not, they're not wrong. No, no, I'm watching it. Like I wasn't okay. there, but I'm watching yeah. it. Like, and I'm okay. like, dude, um, I paid, I, I rewind this. I watch every fight like three yeah. times. Okay, so Pacific Martial Arts was a gym that I would train at periodically in Fresno, but I never was, so I, I was basically associated with them because my manager worked there. Okay, um, they made sure that they mentioned Pacific Martial Arts as well as Millennia. What was the reason that you left Health Gracie's gym? Um, so I, I, so uh, I was working in San Francisco at a hospital at UCSF Medical Center. Um, and, um, I got laid off, uh, actually I got fired and, uh, um, 
but, but, but they gave me a they gave me a, a severance package of, and I, I went to Japan for two months. Um, nice. And then I fought, and then I was teaching. I, I'm sorry, I wasn't teaching. I was I was working the front desk at Fairtex, uh, the Muay Thai Academy, and I was bouncing at a at a nightclub, and and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And uh, a buddy of mine uh, who was at Blue Belt at, at Rodrigo Maderos goes, hey, this Jim Millennia in, in Southern California is looking for a live-in fighter. Um, you're a Blue Belt, but um, why don't you go down and, and, and try out? And um, when I was a Blue Belt, I was a very, very competitive, good grappler because uh, Halp's guys, um, he held us back much. You know, we, when we were Blue Belts, we would tap Brown Belts and Black Belts very easily. Um, wow. So when I came down, um, I was training with, you know, Javi Vasquez and uh, uh, Romeo Rom and John Jensen and um, that group. Um, and so they're like, do you want to move into our fighters uh, house, which was uh, an apartment behind the gym, by train tracks, hands down the worst living experience I've ever been in, but uh, definitely, uh, uh, you know, uh, an experience. Uh, so I moved down to Millennia just because I was like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Let's try to see what I can do with fighting. I, didn't, I just, it, I, it was, I don't know. It was, I, I uh, it certainly was like, I'm going to make money fighting and I'm going to do this. It was like, I'm enjoying this right now. I'm still young enough to do it. Uh, at some point I'll probably go back to school and, 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 and do a real job. But I was just, you know, I'm, I'm 26 enjoying the, 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 where life took me. So it took me to millennia. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in terms of like regional, we, we spoke about the regional scenes, about how it's all kind of broken up. Mm. And there's certain shows that kind of move the needle on this podcast. And one of which is the IFC, where you fought Corey Reeves. Yeah. On top of Corey Reeves, what was your experience like fighting for the IFC? <laughs> oh, the circus, God. from what I, everyone tells me. Yeah. Paul, Paul's an interesting guy. Um, I listen. I'm very, very fortunate. I got to, I got to travel to Texas. Um, I ended up not fighting there because they couldn't find an opponent for me. Uh, you know, I went to to Lake Tahoe, which was the first uh, Nevada show outside of Vegas. Um, uh, I was supposed to fight a 55er, and then they gave me two options. They gave me a 70, a 70 pounder, or 85er. The 85er actually turned out to be Spencer Fisher. Um, he was fighting 85 at the time, but I mean, I didn't know who Spencer was at that time. But I'm like 70 or 85 I'm, I'm gonna take the 70 pounder um and uh uh you know I, I i paul paul had these big big dreams and uh i i you know i uh i saw something I just say it. he he did some scrupulous shit like really genuine like and you were always like if he wrote you a check even if it was for 400 bucks you're like is this gonna cash and most of the time it did not you know and okay. uh uh yeah it's a but I mean, look, you know, it was a time. It's a like, legendary show, though. It's we, a le this is so my, my manager, Mike Pop, who's passed now, um, he would just pick us up and we would, it was me, Cole Escobedo, and a couple other guys. We would just get in his truck and we would drive. So he picked me up in LA and we drove to Lake Tahoe, which is a nine hour drive. Another oh. time we, we, we drove from LA to Texas, 25 hours straight to go to, to uh, Laredo, Texas. Like Jesus. it was just. I mean, look, I, I, we're, we're leaving, living in the seat of our pants and just really enjoying just the moment, the experience, you know? And uh, um, I, yes, uh, uh, Paul did some, some, some shady shit. And I, I definitely, uh, you know, he, he, he had this big, big ideas and never came to fruition. But uh, 
the shows were great. And I mean, dude, I, I, I got to party with Andy Anderson in, in Mexico. Like, dude, I, uh, uh, Jeff Botnick mm-hmm. told me a story about uh, going to when he was in Russia. And, uh, and I, I love Jeff uh, and I, I obviously rest in peace for Jeff. But Jeff goes, if you ever get an opportunity to party with Andy Anderson. And I, uh, do you remember Andy Anderson? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. I was going to say this group probably does. Do you remember it, Chris? I, yeah. I vaguely Andy, remember. Andy, Andy Anderson is the guy who fought uh, John Hess, the Safta guy. In oh, USC. He, wait, wait, wait. Andy Anderson, who's doing 30 years of federal time. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so yeah. let me just kind of set the table here. Uh, Art Davey, after UFC 7, his non-compete ran out, and... Andy Anderson was so convincing and he was, he owned several strip clubs. I shouldn't say several dozen strip clubs as well as steakhouses (laughs) and had so much money that our Davey looked at an organization like the UFC that had already been built on pay-per-view had already been established and said, you guys aren't the real deal. Andy Anderson is and left for Andy. And shortly after Andy took like 30 years and, in federal prison yeah yeah no i mean andy's the real deal man like he's uh, i mean well here what happened with andy because not many people know who he is and if you partied with him so jeff you ever get an opportunity to 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 party with andy anderson you do and i and he's telling me the story about russia and the mafia and like just all insanity and i took that to heart and so we're here in laredo texas and my opponent doesn't show up a great and place Andy to party. Anderson is like, hey boy, and so so, Andy Anderson rolls up in a a uh, a uh, Hummer, a convertible Hummer, and he's wearing a muscle shirt, and he's there with this this chick with, I mean, gorgeous young girl with big boobs, who's his wife, and he's like, hey boy, you want to go to Mexico with me tonight? And I hear Jeff Blatnick, if you get a chance, <laughs> oh, it's done yeah. deal. <laughs> sure, let's go. And so we uh, we go across the border in this summer. It's just me and Andy, and uh, we're drinking, we're drinking, and and uh, you know, and he's getting really, really drunk. And he's like, "All right, listen up. This is what we're gonna do." I'm like, "Okay, what are we gonna do?" He's like, "I want you to go to the back of the bar. I'm gonna go to the front of the bar, and we're gonna fight everybody in this place." And I'm like, <laughs> "What?" He's like, "I'm out." Yeah, yeah. Let's go do it, ready, boy. Don't be a pussy. And I'm like. Dude, Andy, I'm not going to jail in Mexico. He's like, we're not going to jail. You don't understand who I am. I'm Andy Anderson. We're going to get it. And I go, Andy, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, what? And he he looks completely deflated and disappointed. And he's like, you fucking, all right, let's just get the fuck out of here. And we drove across the border. But he genuinely <laughs> wanted to do it. Like, he wanted to fight an entire bar in Mexico. And I'm just like, like a, Sounds like a hammer house initiation. Like, like, dude, I was not going to do it. There's about... 20 guys in there and like dude we're, we're in mexico i'm sorry that, I'm, do you kind of wish you would have done it now <laughs> but I, you know what in in retrospect, in retrospect like, it would have been a way better story well was, the, was the neighborhood called boys town was that where you were uh was I, that I sound familiar you were at exactly and uh uh i've got i've been to fights in the area and andy anderson just for the record the only man in ufc history to take a, a double knee drop yeah. So, Miguel, <laughs> when we clip that story out, we're going to say, I am Andy Anderson. I'm not going to jail. That will be the clip, you know, now that he's sitting there for 30 years. All right. So, IFC, <laughs> we started the question with IFC. In essence, Smith, Scott Smith, he, 
he used to be like the head of security for like a casino. Knew one of the guys that was kind of handing out the contracts. And because of that, they start the IFC. And just because you like MMA, it doesn't really mean you're a good businessman. And unfortunately, like a lot of checks got bounced. And it was uh, kind of an organization that's got a legendary status, but it was more um, champagne taste with a lemonade budget. Not and Scott, it, pardon me? Not Scott Smith. You said Scott Smith. It's actually, uh, 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 what's his name? I, I, Paul Smith. Adams. Huh? Um, uh, it's either Paul Smith or Scott Adams. Scott, uh, yeah, Scott uh, Adams Paul, or Paul, Paul Smith. Paul yeah. Smith. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I can commit to him. So anyway, yeah, 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 the real story on that fight is, now, I, I can't confirm this, but what, what I usually do is when I usually get somebody on my radar, I kind of make my phone calls, you know, whether it's East, West Coast. And my West Coast contact said after the Corey Reeves fight, you got into a pretty big bar fight where you beat somebody up. And you want to tell us how you got out of it? Okay, so, yeah, that, that's actually <laughs> – that was uh, IFC in uh, Lake Tahoe. That, yes. that is an epic story. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so it's true uh, it's 100 percent true yeah uh, so, go ahead so mitch your sins oh god yeah i mean it's fine now i uh so so um i was always i would always come out with a mask that was kind of my my little shtick um going to the cage and so i met like a lucha libre mask these two beautiful uh girls that worked at the casino and they wanted to go to the after party with me and so we're all going in there and i'm wearing my mask and uh you know i'm I'm just enjoying the moment. And uh, one of the security guard goes, hey, take the mask off. So I take the mask off. I give it to one of the girls. And and uh, the guy behind him goes, don't let him in. And I'm like, what do you mean, man? He asked me to take the mask off. I took the mask off. What's the problem? He's like, you fighters think you can do whatever the hell you want. I'm not letting you in. And I'm like, well, this after party is for us. Like, this <laughs> is not for, like, they're doing it expressly for us. It's not for you. Like, get a manager. And the guy goes, well, I am the manager. And I go, no, you're not. You're just a, a, you know, a punk bitch security guard. And he goes, look, you have two options. You can leave on your own or I'll kick your ass and throw you out. And, you know, I'm, I'm young and, and I just fought and, and I'm like, oh, you're going to kick my ass. And he goes, yeah. And he pushes me. And so I cracked him in the face. Two other securities grab me. They pull me down. Um, actually, one guy's trying to wrangle my legs and I slip him into a triangle and I'm choking him with my legs as the other guys are holding me down. And, and uh, Mike Pop, who was my manager at the time, was like, Gabe, dude, you, this is the first uh, uh, outside of uh, Las Vegas fight. You can't be doing, you know, you need to stop now. And so I stopped and they handcuffed me and they, they took me to the security room. And they're like, you're going to go to jail, this and that. And I'm sitting there and uh, I'm handcuffed in a chair like this. And I'm like, I don't feel good. And the guy's like, fuck you, you're going to jail. I'm like, I don't feel good, man. I'm going to pass out. And he's like, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. And I just did a header off the chair. Boom. Fell on the ground and I started convulsing. <laughs> and he calls EMS. EMS comes. And <laughs> they put me on the gurney and they, they wheel me out of the casino and all the fighters are like, what the hell is going on? I think I winked. Wink. I'm also really, really drunk. So take that into consideration. I think I winked at a couple of the fighters like, ha, ha, ha. They take me to the hospital. Um, <laughs> the doctor checks me out. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, well, you know, you need, a, you need to do a CT or anything. I'm like, well, I just passed out. I feel okay now. And he's like, you're saying you had a seizure. I'm like, I don't think you had a seizure. I, I just blanked. I, I, you know, I blacked out for a minute. And he's like, okay, you know, 
uh, let me call you a cab. This is pre-Uber. This is, and so he calls me a cab. I get into the cab as the sheriffs come to the hospital. I go back to the casino. I meet the two girls. I go party the whole night. Like everything's great. I'm at the, I had a different, at, the, at a club, like partying the whole night. Everything's great. I go home and then um, I uh, was served two weeks later that uh, um, <laughs> little bit, I mean, it made sense that they had, I, we were staying at the casino. They knew who I was. So yeah. uh, they, uh, they pressed charges on me after the fact. And uh, so they actually went to the hospital to get you, but you got, you managed to get out and went partying. Nice. Yeah, That's like, good. I, That's I, good. I went, home, I went back to LA and I'm like, Oh, everything's fine. Like, I have this crazy fun story. And then I, then uh, the mail came. <laughs> Yeah, how, so how, how much did that resolved? How much did that cost you? How much did that cost you in, in legal uh, fees? So actually, here's interesting enough. So they, they they initially tried to get me for, I think two felony counts and three misdemeanor batteries. Um, and so I I went up there and I pled not guilty for self defense because he pushed me first. Um, and we went through the whole thing like they were you know playing me out to be this fighter that kills people and. And I, I actually took the stand. I said, yeah, I, I, am a, I am a fighter that can kill them. I could have killed all three of them, but I used the minimum amount to make sure that I was safe. I was protecting myself. I was doing what I could to protect myself. And the judge threw all the charges out except for one count of misdemeanor battery because in, Vegas, or in Nevada, there's a statute that they can kick you out for whatever reason they want in a casino. And because I didn't leave when they told me to leave, the, the first uh, misdemeanor battery held, the rest, they dropped the charges. So That's I did- I did three years of of uh, probation. Uh, what is it? Probation, and that was it. Really? Yeah. Jeez. Yep. Wow. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's it. That that story was uh uh. It, it, it's still this day. Actually, someone brought it up on Facebook. Uh, Tim McKenzie was like, "Dude, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen." I'm like, "It's probably." I've had some ridiculous things happen. That's that one. That one was one of the. Fake a seizure to get out of being arrested and had it happen at a casino. You'd been yeah. fine. Yep. Yep. Wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. So at this point in your career, you're eight and one. Yeah. And it's WEC 17. I have to assume you're kind of calling your own shots. You probably are selling some tickets for them as well. So you got a little bit of leeway and they give you a rematch against Sam Wells. Yeah. Which was much more difficult for you than I had thought while watching it. Um, I, you know, I, I'm glad uh, Sam, Sam is tough as nails. And I, obviously I got the, the, the fights wrong. I thought I fought Sam before I fought Jason, but, but either way, um, you know what? I, I, I distinctly remember asking for that fight. Like, you know, I'm the champion. I, oh, for I, sure. I, you know, um, I got a revenge. I lost. Yeah. I want to get back. And, you know, I mean, uh, I actually, that fight was a, a good fight for me because it went all three rounds. It went to a decision. I went through some adversity in the second round. Um, and Sam is tough as nails. People don't know who Sam is, but I mean, you know, I mean, there's so many regional fighters that, you know, could have could have been uh, uh, a bit more if they would have gotten a little more notoriety and whatnot. But uh, or or maybe even taken smarter fights because Sam Wells fought everybody. Yeah, yeah, Sam did. Even everybody. out of his weight class, I I would even go as far to say in the second round, he almost finished you a couple times on a couple different occasions. I mean, it, I, he definitely uh, beat me up in the second round. I can definitely say like, but it was good because coming back, like I knew I had won the first round. I had, I had, uh, you know, uh, a bad second round. So it was like, okay, get in there and let's go. You know what I mean? Like it is time. It's go time. And 
even in that fight, if you watch it, I'm trying to finish him the whole time. You know, like I, I, uh, there's no, well, you a, did finish him. I did not, but, 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 oh. I, but I did not. I, I went to decision. My fault. You had decision. But, yeah. But here you won the first round and you kind of showed your grit in the second round and you won a third. So, I mean, I mean, at some point you got to, you know, deal with adversity. And that second round certainly was that. Third round, you got mostly top position, if I recall correctly. You know, you kind of, you, you took the time from them. And Sam was pretty much done as well. Um, your last fight in the WEC was against Hermes Fraca. Yep. So, Chris, on some of these bigger cards, they don't film the undercard at all. And... They've got a 155-pound title fight on the undercard while headlining with the 145-pound title fight while having other fights on that card that aren't title worthy. H how does that happen? It's not even recorded. It wasn't? I thought it no. was. No. Oh, uh, I, <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how does that happen where they move you to the undercard rather than on the main card? I thought I was on the. I, I this is the first I've heard of that. I, I don't know. Um, I, there were a lot of fights in the card. I, I, I uh, it was the first uh, sanctioned fight in California. I know that. Like as far as um, for the WEC, they they were going through the sanctioning body because prior to that, they they were just doing on the Indian reservation and running it however they wanted. Um, and the commission, uh, I know that the fight before me was Rob uh, McCullough versus Rob McCullough. It's not uh, recorded. Rob versus uh, uh, Olaf. Olaf, and that was a so that fight. Rob knocked out. Uh, he knocked out uh, uh, Olaf on the feet. Got on top of him, drilled him in the face like six times. The commission ran in and was like, "We're going to shut this whole thing down." <laughs> like, like, because uh, and then uh, I distinctly remember like they're saying, "Okay, look, uh, I was staged to fight, and it was I remember it was a, a really cold night." were staged to fight and then they paused everything for like 45 minutes to allow the EMTs to get involved. And the commission is like, no, we're shutting this down. Like the referee made a huge error. And because of that, like, this is why this sport is not legal and this and that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that fight was a, a rough one, man. Yeah. That yeah. So you lost to Hermes Franca in 35 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Not, not easy. And Hermes is a savage. Um, you know, he went on a run then. I, I watched, he, he beat me, then beat Nate, and then he beat uh, Spencer, and he beat, he, I mean, he went, fight, he went from me uh, winning the WC title, going all the way to the UFC to, to fight Sean Shirk, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, now, it was, now, he went through basically the same thing with the delay, but what, you were like warmed up, ready to fight, and then they come in with the whole nonsense of, of the delay and stuff, and... and that just messes your whole game up, you know? I mean, so, like, the way we were staged is I was staged outside because I was the, the champion. And so you're outdoors? So, I, and I'm not saying that's the reason why I lost. I mean, like, I, Hermes caught me and that was it. But but Hermes was in the, the tent, and I was outside the tent because, you know, he's the challenger. And then then the the uh, the Rob knockout ha happens, and EMTs are getting involved, and the, the commission is losing their mind and uh um you know uh the the fight happened the way it happened i still feel like and josh and i have talked about it a couple times i feel like i could i was i was still uh able to fight i i, I think uh, hermes rocked the crap out of me but I, I remember i was in on a single leg 
Uh, and then uh, Josh jumped in and Josh said, because of what happened with the, the commission, they weren't, mm. they were stopping it immediately. Now, but it was still a loss. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm definitely not saying that I, I, I Hermes probably would just beat me up some more, who knows? But I, I, I felt like uh, uh, Josh and I both talked about it and he said the reason why he stopped it as fast as he did because of the Rob McCullough thing and the commission was losing their mind. No, you know, and, and their referee's kind of, he's caught in a difficult position because Olaf is a fan favorite because of the amount of abuse that he can take. And, you know, it is what it is. It's a, it's a double-edged sword at that point. Referees as a whole, it's a rough, rough deal. And you're supposed to be making split-second decisions. And, like, you know, and it's it, sometimes you let them they go too far. Or they, sometimes you let them go too long. It's, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult task. And uh, especially when you have the commission yelling at you. It yeah. puts you even more of a, a position where you're like, okay, we're going to stop things fast. Yeah, you, you mentioned it was their first show, too. Like, I, I did the first uh, commission show in Massachusetts and the first commission show in Florida. And both times, the commission, you could they were on edge, man. They were on edge. Makes sense, yeah. So, but it yeah. is what it is. And, you know, I mean, uh, I lost the title. And, uh, you know, it was it, it, it hurt in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, it obviously didn't stop me. It didn't I, I, I You know, I could have. Uh, you know, called it a point at any, at any time, but it was just get back to work. That's cool. That's cool. So you, you win another fight after that, and then you make your UFC debut against an incredibly tough Melvin Gillard at UFC 63. Yeah. And yeah. at this point, Melvin is, you know, probably about 22, 23 years old, and he's on the verge of being a 50 fight club member. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, he's, did you recall Melvin at like weigh-ins and stuff like that? Because back then, he, he was like a, a real-life comic book character. Still yeah, is. I, mean, uh, I look. I uh, I've never been known for my physique. Uh, that's not was uh, you know I wasn't uh, a ripped-up, shredded guy. Um, uh, standing next to him, I mean, he's chiseled. He's probably an inch taller than me, and I mean, he's a knockout artist. I mean, and I you know I, I think he just finished uh, the Ultimate Fighter and was. Uh, Train with Tito and like uh, you know their camp was very very tight knit and and very uh, uh, they go to Big Bear and train up there and stuff. Um, I I wouldn't say I was intimidated, but I definitely knew I was in for a real fight. And I mean like and here's the, the reality is is when I got signed to the UFC, I never thought I was going to fight in the UFC. That was never. I distinctly remember um, being fine. Oh, I fought in, you know I fought for championships. I fought on TV because of the HE Net deal. Uh, driving in. Uh, to the uh, to the uh, arena, I shit my pants. Oh my god, I'm in the UFC. Like, dude, this is what I when I was a kid, when I was 16, I would watch this, and this was, you know, the the Super Bowl. This is uh, bigger than everything else. That like uh, for for me, this is like uh, uh, a dream beyond a dream. And I never thought there's something I'd be doing. Um, and then the reality of that, and again, like I'm not gonna say that that was the reason why I lost. Not at all. Melvin was a, a gangster, but as far as like. The reality of I'm in the UFC and I'm fighting in a, an arena like, uh, uh, you know, 18,000 people are going to be here for my fight. Holy crap. Yeah, but that, this is what we were talking about before. I mean, the UFC first fight jitters are real. I mean, people have been looking up for that so long. People can't understand the adrenaline dump that you get because, you know, your adrenaline's up here, up here, up here. That's just at the weigh-ins and that's just the week you get there. And that's doing that all week and you finally get in the fight. You gas out immediately. <laughs> it's like, I mean, think how many. I mean, it, it almost pays to be kind of dumb and like not even understand how 
big the platform you're because those are the people who perform well. But and usually, most people's first fight is not good. You want to hear some funny shit? My yeah. kickboxing coach, we go to the locker room and he's like, "Oh, dude, I just saw Chuck Liddell. I'm gonna get his. I'm gonna get his picture. I'm gonna get his autograph." And he just digs out, and I'm like, "Dude!" And he he's gone for like an hour, and he comes back like, "Well, look at who I got." And I'm like. I'm about to fight, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm losing my shit, and you're like playing fanboy time. Like, like, yeah. dude, like, come on, man. I need you focused here. I need here, and like, it was a good scene. Yeah. And even you back then, the even- so so Gabe obviously lose to second round punch to solar plexus. Very hard first round as well. But you've got uh, you've you've got Dan Henderson in your corner. Yeah. Ooh, well, why? Um, so I was uh, so Dan would come into Millennia. So before there was Team Quest, uh, Dan would either train at the Semecula High School wrestling room, or he would come to Millennia and get rounds with a guy named Art Santori. And uh, uh, dude, I, I've known Dan for God my whole time since like 2003. You know when he was fighting in Pride, and I mean, dude, we looked up to him like I mean, you know, he's a, a legend beyond legend. That's and, one of my uh, heroes for sure. I, I still love Dan to this day, and I, I uh, you know, I appreciated the time that I got with him. Um, so I was going. Uh, Heath Sims uh, helped me with my wrestling for that fight, um, and I was doing private lessons with Heath. And I would go down to Dan's. Uh, this is when when Team Quest actually became a gym, um, and that was actually after the Melbourne fight. I moved my camp to to Team Quest to be with Dan and that group. That's smart. That's yeah. smart. So from there, you finally quick, get to the Ultimate Fighter season five. Why don't you bring us through the process of getting on the show? Uh, yeah, so um, I got a phone call from my manager, Ed Soares, and like I still was on contract with the UFC because I had fought Melvin, and they're like, hey, uh, you're getting an opportunity to be on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you're gonna, I want you to go have coffee with one of the producers. Um, so I met her in Santa Monica, and uh, she's like, oh, you're great. I'm going to have you come out to Vegas uh, you know, for, for the tryouts. And I'm like, okay, I don't I didn't know anything else past that. Um, and I, I, you know, at this point, the ultimate fighter was a big, big deal. I mean, you know, to see what it had done to, to uh, Forrest's career and uh, Diego's career and anyone that was on the show was becoming a, you know, a, a it was, it was uh, again, coming from, from a point where you're fighting, you know, in underground fights and on, on uh, in, in with nobody around to then people recognizing you as a fighter. Like it was a, a, a massive transformation. Um, and so I went to do the, uh, the tryout, which was, uh, you know, you go to Vegas, they have you in a van, you do medicals, the guy driving the van incidentally works for spike TV, but he pretends that he's just a driver. Um, and he's seeing how you interact with the other guys in, in the bus. And, uh, you know, um, I, I, Matt Wyman and I hated each other right away. Uh, (laughs) yeah. What was, what was the reason for that? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get into it because it, 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 it it's uh, his training partners at the time. He was training with some guys in Florida, and uh, I I was friendly with them. And I had heard that Matt had left them on bad terms and was was. Uh, mm. And and so you know, like when 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 you have people that you're friendly with, and then you hear that this guy leaves on bad terms, um, you're immediately gonna you're you're gonna have an impression of him. And then yeah, his personality. My personality was like water and in, in, in uh, oil right away. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was who else was on the bus with me? I can't remember who else was in the in the bus with me. But uh, um, uh, yeah, so we we went and did that, and um, I was gonna go to Thailand to train, and so I um, I, I called uh, one of the I can't remember who it was, and I go, look, I'm about to leave for Thailand. I need to know if I'm on the show or not. 
because I'm going to stay longer if I'm not on the show. And she's like, okay, I can't, you cannot tell anybody this, but you're on the show. You're hundred percent on the show. Cause I went, okay. So I, I went uh, and flew to Thailand, um, trained at the Fairtex camp. Um, I kind of wish that I wouldn't have um, because I was like, I, I'm in Thailand. I'm, I, I'm training, I'm training, but uh, I'm also drinking and I'm also having fun. And uh, you know, I, I, I the, the Thai camp is very, very hard and it, it but I like it's it, like it wasn't anything like I'm getting ready for a Muay Thai battle. You know, I'm not getting ready for MMA. Um, mm. And I came back for a week, um, and my weight was high, but I had cut weight so many times before. I'm like, oh, it's it, this will actually be kind of good because I had saw how uh, Bobby Southworth caused drama and got a lot of uh, TV time, and then I think it was Joe Stevenson or someone else had gotten uh, another. Like there's two at this point. There was four other seasons, and there were two debacles with weight cuts. And I'm like, me coming in at 177, I've made this weight multiple times. When I fought Melvin, I, I, I cut from 77. You know what I mean? So I'm feeling like, okay, it, it's going to be it's going to be a hard cut, but I've done it multiple times, and uh, it'll cause a little controversy, and I'll get some more camera time. And the reality is, is when you get on the show, um, you know that there's cameras on you, and you know that uh, you know you're going to be on TV, so you're going to be yourself, but on level 15. Um, I, was, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Corey Hill, uh, uh, who has who passed since. Corey and I, we were, in the, we were in the hot tub the day before the, the, the team picks. And he's like, you know, you and Joe and Matt, you were the guys I respect the most because you're already in the UFC. And like, I just want to get to that level. And, and man, I respect you so much. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Yeah, we really, really cool. And then he put on the yellow shirt and he's getting in my face and barking and, 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 as soon as the cameras were off us, he's like, yo, dog, that was just for the cameras. And I'm like, <laughs> yo, man, like, I didn't know it was for the cameras. I thought we were going to fight. Like, I was like, I, I was screwed up. Like, fuck, man, he's going to throw on me. I don't want to fight. Like, and they were telling us, if you fight in the house, you get kicked out. So, you know, I'm, I don't want to get kicked out of the house. I want the opportunity to go through the whole process. But, you know, cameras are on you. You're going to, you know, you're going to be a different person. And, uh, uh, yeah, so there was that a aspect of it as well. And then there That's was uh, the weight cut. Well, you know, it, it's not an easy, I, I, I guarantee it's, I mean, it's still probably one of the more talked about things with you whenever you encounter people with mixed martial arts. But like, I, I've gone through your fights. Like I've gone through all of them. Yeah. And up until this time, including your return to the, the UFC after this, you, you always made weight. You never missed once, including making 155 like championship weight on the dot, even though you've got like a one pound allowance. And yeah. it was just, it was just really strange. Like when you look at the totality of it and obviously the ultimate fighter being an infomercial, like as someone that, you know, looks at everything, it just, it sucked. I mean, to watch, I mean, it sucked. I mean, seeing you go through that, but there was no balance given either well, that this has never happened before. Well, so, Another part of it, um, and uh, uh, Brian and I were not close at that point, um, and I, because I heard uh, your interview with Brian, uh, a, a couple things. Uh, one, um, him and I never talked about my manager be, uh, being the reason why I got to where I was at. Uh, uh, that was, I think, he talked to somebody else and, and kind of assumed it was me. Um, well, your manager, I mean, let's let's. He did a really good job with you in your early career. No, no, there, well, there's no okay, doubt about that. Okay, so but. But, but my, man, my, my manager was my friend, Mike Pop, that would get me fights. It was not like he was working my career and like this, we're going to take these fights and this. It was Mike was just the guy that got me fights. 
And then I got Ed Soares after the fact. And Ed uh, was one that was like making moves. Like for instance, um, after the Hermes fight, we had a pride deal. Um, and then we, we, we actually dumped the pride deal because UFC was blowing up for the way. So again, like, but, but I, you know, um, anyways, uh, I had strep throat when I was trying to make weight. I was on antibiotics and um, I made it to 58 before my body shut down. And like, I, I had to, to see what happened. I have to watch, I had to watch the show. Like I remember waking up in the hospital and after they gave me four IVs and um, explaining to me what had happened. I don't like, I, I watched this, I watched, you know, what, 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 what was on the show and, and I kind of remember pieces of it, but I, my body just shut down on me. I got to 58. My body was like, Nope, no more. Um, and it, it's a hundred percent my fault. I should have come into the show. You know, uh, I, I should have been, 65 realistically um i shouldn't have thought that like oh you know you always make weight it's easy to make weight um i take 100 responsibility for that of course do, do, you, do you hold on do you feel like in a way you know you kind of touched on a little bit you know you, you, it's almost more more airtime if you're losing more weight more of a drama thing do you almost feel like you let that kind of aspect of it realizing this isn't as much about fighting and let the the theatrical part kind of dictate what happened a little bit you know because because in a way that seemed like what happened and then it kind of messed you up you kind of wish you hadn't looked at that way so i gotta focus totally on fighting like like i've always taken fights seriously i've all but but the show feels like it doesn't feel like a fight i remember sitting with uh, rob emerson after rob had lost and rob was so bummed out i'm like dude you're gonna be a superstar anyways like you understand that like you're you now that you're on this show you're going to get 16 weeks of, of of coverage and you're still going to be in the UFC because, you know, there have been four other shows for us to watch prior to this. So we, we, we knew that, uh, uh, you know, whether you won or lost, you got another shot at the show or uh, to fight in the UFC. And typically with the finals at that point, they would take cast members and then you would fight some of the cast member. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How, how hard was it? Uh, like when you were packing your bags and stuff like that, did, did you have any conversations with Dana off screen or was just it, that it? No, you know, the, the show is, so it's interestingly enough, when uh, they, they did my, my final uh, uh, in, uh, interview with, 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 the, with the crew, I, they're like, are you upset? I'm like, of course I'm upset. And the woman's like, no, think about this. Your parents are gonna be watching this. You've just, and like, she starts to cry and I'm like, oh shit. Like I was fine until she started crying and then I started crying and that like, that whole sobbing thing was, uh, you know, like they manipulate you in, in, in a scenario. Um, but, uh, Dana, Dana, I mean, Dana told me like, I don't know. I, I think it was on the show, but Dana said, you're never going to fight in the UFC again. You know, you, you've just squandered your opportunity. Like you're done. Like, and, and your career is going to be over now. And, uh, I mean, uh, it kind of was at that point. Uh, you know, uh, if we get onto the Armando Garcia thing, uh, Armando did his very best to ensure that my career took a big dump off of that. Well, let, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So in essence, in June of uh, June second, two thousand seven, um, K One Dynamite does an event that has headlines with Brock Lesnar, yep. and it, it, it's a huge event um, taking place in California. So Armando Garcia is the head of the Athletic Commission at that time. Originally, he's from Florida, gets a job in California, and leaves under a cloud of controversy in regards to how he how he departed the Athletic Commission and. A f- there's many, many examples of him acting erratically. And I think in regards to yourself, there were some personal, something had to be personal. Why don't you walk us through what exactly took place with yourself and why you did not compete 
on that card. <sighs> yeah. So, okay. So, um, falling back, I, the, the UFC held me on contract and will tell me like, Oh, we're not sure if you're going to fight in the final or not. And I'm like, let me fight Matt Wyman. Let me fight Matt Wyman. Let me fight Corey Hill. I'll fight any of the guys. Like, just give me an opportunity. And, and I thought that was going to happen. Um, and so I'm training and, uh, then I get the phone call that I'm not going to fight in the UFC. And so I get a phone call from Ed that, uh, K1 is coming and they wanted me to fight a, a, a silver medalist uh, in the Olympics that Heath Sims had actually competed against. And he was like, that is a great fight for you. And I'm like, great, let's, let's go to work. And, and so, you know, I, I'm uh, preparing for the fight and, and everything's good. And then uh, I go to my medicals and there are a lot of fighters there. Sock Rob was there, Mel Melvin Manoff. And everyone's losing their mind because they have to jump through all these hoops that they wouldn't have to normally jump through. And uh, things are being, they're asking for these tests again. And, and um, so I do my test and then, uh, uh, you know, everything seems to be okay. And I was already licensed in California. I'd already fought in the UFC in California. Everything was fine. Uh, and then I get a phone call that from, from Ed uh, the week of the fight that uh, Armando Garcia was putting a hold on my, on my uh, license and that I was not going to be able to fight on the K1 card. Um, and you know, at this point, I, I what was I, the reasoning? Uh, his reasoning was that I was not, there was not enough time to sufficiently mentally, uh, diagnose, uh, what was going on with me. So I going on to the, so let me, let me going back to on the ultimate fighter. I was on, uh, antidepressants at the time. Okay. And, um, it had never been an issue when I fought Melvin, I was on antidepressants. Why would you declare that? What's that? Why, why would you admit that? Uh, I, why would I not? It's, it, it's part of the, 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 well, it, I had, I had done it for my, my, my uh, license before, and it wasn't an issue when I was on the ultimate fighter, I was taking it through the ultimate fighter. There was not an issue there. The UFC didn't say anything about it. Um, and then when I tried to reapply for my license, he goes, because you're on this antidepressant, you're not mentally prepared to fight, which, so a couple things, taking me away from the, my way to make money. <laughs> if you want to talk about my mental, uh, uh, health, yeah, yeah. Health, taking away my ability to make money and then making the point where I can make money in my career and then come back and show, look, I'm, I'm going to make weight for this fight and I'm going to beat this guy. This is an opportunity for me to, to, to re resurrect my career. Uh, if anything, it put me in, in a way worse position than I was in, uh, prior to, uh, but yeah, so he said that I was uh, unable to to get, and I, Ed was like, look, we'll go to a psychologist, we have all this stuff set, and Armando Garcia said, no, not going to do it, and so he put a, a hold on he, my uh, Yeah, he also mentioned that one of his concerns were that you didn't make weight um, for the Ultimate Fighter, like on the show, and he, I mean, he, he publicly stated that, so oh, Chris, Chris think about this, the Ultimate Fighter is a reality show that has exhibition bouts, they don't count. He has issues making weight for an exhibition fight. And then they say, well, no, you can't fight a real fight. Even though in June, like in March, I apologize, in March of 2007, I did some research on this. You give an interview with Loretta Hunt where you talk about, hey, I got a big announcement coming up. So it was no surprise to the Athletic Commission that you were on the list of people, you know, that were going to be on that card. This is in June. It, it was almost as if he was given like orders to do this to you. Um, you know, uh, you know, you know where Armando landed after the athletic commission, right? Well, I was hoping to surprise you with that, but oh. go ahead. 
Well, no, I, I'll, I, I mean, so he works for the Fertitas in there. There's, I believe, the head of security for their. He's the head of security for Station Casinos. Yeah. So he goes from the California Athletic Commission that has shut down shooto events with with John Fitch on them. Well, I shouldn't say shut down. Terrorized it where it only gets down to four fights, and after he gets run out of the commission because it was ran so poorly, he ends up working for the Fertitas directly with Station Casinos as their head of security. That's uh, very coincidental. It's weird. Sure, <laughs> look, things happen, man. Like you know, look, life life moves you in different directions. Who would have known? Who would have guessed? But uh, I, all the fighters that were on the K one were saying that they had jumped through way more hoops than they ever had, um, and he was doing everything he could to shut down the K1 show. He, I mean, that showed the fact that it even happened at all was amazing because of all the, 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 the bullshit with commission. He was doing everything in his power. And I genuinely don't think that there's a coincidence. I think that there's absolutely, I, I mean, I mean, could be, it's possible, but I mean, are the free like, you know what oh. I think happened, Gabe? I think he uh, applied for the job. He had no idea who he was. And he got it based on his merit. They're like, Armando Garcia, that name's familiar to me. That's what I think. Let's have an interview. Yeah. <laughs> had nothing to do with any of the favors he did for them in regards to making everyone else miserable. That was not considered their competition. Not, not, not at all. all. Not at all. It's almost like when the Fertitas uh, wanted to buy uh, UFC and uh, uh, SEG couldn't get uh, licensing in Nevada. And then as soon as they bought it, lo and behold, for, uh, was it Frank or was it Lorenzo who was on the athletic commission? Yeah, one of them. One of them resigned from the athletic commission and then it gets approved. Uh, now we're in. Yeah. Who would have guessed? <laughs> well, if we could kind of uh, kind of backtrack a little bit. Yeah. You had mentioned that you, you, you worked out with uh, Health Gracie. That's where you started. Oof, yeah. Was Cameron Earl in the room with you at this time, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy? Yeah, many. I, I, I uh, Cameron was a training partner of mine for a long time. Okay, so uh, why, why don't you kind of describe your relationship with him? And I mean, if you're comfortable, maybe some of the uh, issues surrounding him. Yeah, Cameron was someone you wanted to be friendly with because he was a sociopath and um, had even on the mat was he nuts? Oh my god, he like a genuine. He just wanted to hurt people. Like all he wanted to do was hurt people. Like genuinely hurt people. And, uh, I mean, you know, uh, like we, we, would, we would party together and we got in way too many street fights together. And uh, I actually, um, I don't know if you know this story, but, but Cameron had actually killed somebody in, uh, in, like, in uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, he got into a street fight with a guy uh, and put the guy in a triangle and did not let go. The guy flatlined. Um, EMTs came and the, because the guy was actually a, a, a felon, uh, a known felon that the police said is if he as long as he doesn't die you're good but if he dies you're going down and the guy survived and uh, that's how Cameron got out of that one um just again I was friendly with him because you didn't want to have him as your enemy does that make sense oh wow he was like that psychotic you didn't want Cameron on your bad side like genuinely he, he if if you were his training partner and he didn't like you he'd break your arm genuinely break your arm like that without even question think about it and then half would blow it off like oh that's just cameron being cameron it was like he was like a, a genuine uh piece of garbage like really and i was friendly with him because that was the safest place to be you were afraid of him <laughs> yeah it's 100 100 like i can say that 100 like he, oh, he, oh, oh, here let me tell you did, did cameron have any fights 
Uh, no, you know, uh, it's funny because Cameron was getting ready to fight MMA and his grappling was ridiculous, but he, whenever he would get hit, he would just, he, everything would just stop. And, and we started to realize that like it was a hundred percent. He was a bully because he couldn't, he couldn't strike. And because he couldn't strike whenever he got cracked, he would just, everything would turn off. So we never fought. All right. So Chris, let me kind of put this in a proper perspective. Cameron Earl went up against Marcelo Garcia on three different occasions and he beat him twice. <laughs> so for those people at home, Marcelo Garcia is kind of like the Michael Jordan of jujitsu and you'd be hard pressed to kind of find a different type of comparison. He's the ultimate winner. And Cameron, even I think he split him with like an ankle lock at one point. I think he knee barred him. Is it Brad? Or he's an e-bar. It was yeah. something with the legs and it just, a frightening individual, and then you kind of get like that psychotic mindset. In essence, he was kind of like a homeless. I shouldn't say kind of. He he was a homeless guy that was kind of in and out of foster homes. Oh, dude, he, the only way that he was so uh, our our uh, our buddy Gumby uh, Alan Marquez, uh, who's also uh, was part of on the mat. He has a gym uh, called Heroes in, in San Jose. He lived on uh, Gumby was his nickname. He lived on Gumby's. Uh, on, like on in his living room, on like on on a, on like a pad, like he was a uh, he was Gumby's pet, like really like and Gumby's the one that like kept him together, like on it he would have been homeless, one hundred percent. But Gumby like let him sleep on like this pad in the living room of his one bedroom apartment. Yeah, and he's also I think doing twenty five to life right now. I hope it's you. I hope it's life. I hope it's okay. Life. You, do you want to jump me to say it, or would you prefer to kind of walk us through what what took place? Um, well, so I, yeah, so what had happened is, is Cameron got pulled in for an attempted rape. And I, all of us were like attempted, like, like, and we always made a joke, like if, if Cameron wanted to rape any of us, he probably could have done it. Like, like just, he was, dude, he was just a, again, an animal grappler, animal. And uh, uh, we're like, there's no way like a girl, and like, she said that he had a knife and that like she fought him off and we're like, some girl's gonna fight off Cameron Earl. That's not gonna happen. Like it's just not. And so, but you know, he got uh, he he went to jail. And actually, the crazy part is he got bail. One of one of the other students put his house up, and then Cameron went on the lamp. Oh. So so his student's house, uh, like and so yeah, he finally ended up. Cameron Cameron wasn't the smartest guy. He ended up. Uh, he was at a gym in in uh, in uh, Oregon. And he was like, I'm a white belt and comes in and like with the, the gnarliest cauliflower ear. And someone, some cop was there was like, that's Cameron Earl. I know exactly who he is. And then he got in, uh, sent back to California. Um, but so he gets convicted on this uh, uh, attempted rape. And we're like, okay, again, like Cameron, not a good, good dude, but like there's, we can't believe that he raped somebody. And they check his DNA uh, and his dad. He put his DNA into a database. And it comes up for two or three uh, rapes, like actual rapes, uh, including a mother, a mother on Christmas Eve while her children were upstairs. Like, dude, this is like evil, evil shit. The type of stuff that like, dude, when I hear it, like, it crushes my heart. Like type of stuff that like, I, I, I hope that he is getting abused, which actually I'd heard from a couple of people that had visited him that his nose had been smashed, all of his teeth were broken out. Because uh, Cameron, you know, thought it was a badass, but 10, 15 dudes are going to prove that you're not. Um, <laughs> so in essence, Chris, he, he, what happened was he, they said it was a sexual assault along with a robbery. When it kind of 
kind of whittled down to it. They dropped the sexual assault because, you know, it wasn't proven. They say, well, you know, we've got the knife. Let's take a DNA sample while he's waiting in jail. They said that the DNA was that was on the knife was different than his. And that could just be an evidence tech kind of picking it up without really kind of being careful with it. So he actually had a legitimate shot at beating the actual charge, the initial charge that he had had. But when they put his DNA in the database, it like lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. hey, man, I don't want people like that out there anyway. No. So, hey, more about it. Yeah, yeah like, like you said, Gabe, I hope he stays in there for a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's where he's supposed to be. He's no, where he's no, supposed okay. to be. I, listen, um, Cameron was going to – I, I, I didn't think he was capable of rape. I, 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 him killing somebody, I 100% wouldn't believe that. Um, uh, you know, I, I – That's I, I, wild. I, well, That's, he, listen to what he just said. He genuinely killed somebody. Like genuinely in a street fight, and the guy that it just so happened that the guy was a a, a felon that the cops knew, and uh, they revived him. Um, dude, I, I was I was at a at a nightclub once when he punched a cop and tried to take the cop's gun. Like, dude, like again, under under I, I'm sorry, off duty cop, and the off duty cop like he cracked him, and then then like Cameron was trying to take the guy's gun. And we're like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? We got to get the fuck out of here. He's like, no, no, he's got a gun. We're like, no, what are you doing, man? And it turned out to be a cop, but like. They, yeah, I, he's where he needs to be. Like animals need to need to be caged, and and he he's caged where he needs to be. That's and crazy. Like, you know, it, it's unfortunate that 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 uh, we have people like that in our community. Like you know, we, we and we heard like Hermes Franca. Fuck that guy losing losing to Hermes. I don't care about the loss as much as I lost to a fucking pedophile. That kills me. That fucking kills me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a few years later, August 15, two thousand nine, coat of arms. In my opinion, this is the highlight of your career. Do you remember who you fought? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I... Uh, uh, Wanda Braga. Wanda, and I, Wanda and I are still friends, and uh, I didn't want to take... Stud. He's, dude, he was 15-0 and 0 at, the, at the time that I fought him, or I, maybe even 16 or 17, I don't know. I mean, undefeated, like, you get 15, 16 fights and you're undefeated, you are a gangster. I mean, third, I, third degree black belt at the time. I was a brown belt. He was a three-time world champion in jiu-jitsu. I knew Vonder way before any of this, you know? I mean, like in the in the California jiu-jitsu circuit, he's a well, well-known black belt. You know what I mean? And then like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I'll be honest. That was a fight when they initially brought it up to me. They go, they go you want to fight Vonder Braga? I'm like, ah, you know, nope. I don't want to <laughs> fight him. And then they're like, well, Vonder wants to fight you. And then. My little ego is like, oh yeah, well, fuck him. <laughs> and it, it probably it might have been just the promoter, but but uh, I mean, it's enough for me to be like, oh yeah, well then, uh, you know, I'll fight him. Like, uh, uh, but yeah, Vonder the Vonder fight was a, a great fight, and uh, I mean, you know, I, I was in great shape, and uh, I was training with uh, uh, Bob Cheney, who's a uh, 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 who's passed away now. Uh, at the time, Bob was I think sixty seven old school kickboxer boxer from back in the day um and uh yeah i i uh i submitted him which is a big big deal i mean wow yeah i mean you know i i think if i would have won by decision or i would have knocked him out uh big whoop de doo you but but i mean submitting a, a high level black belt at that point was, was was a big deal and he so was also Chris, he was also was looking at the ufc so i kind of ruined his career unfortunately I, well he never fought in his life <laughs> that was it yeah but they like he like Beating me was his ticket in the UFC. They yeah. Him. Yeah. 
And that was it. That was it. And, you know, Sam Wells also, after your second fight, that was it with him as well. He hung it up. Oh, did he? I, I, yeah. Yeah. You've had a couple guys on your record like that. Um, so, in essence, it was kind of a cautious first round with both guys showing definitely respect for each other in regards to their skill. And, um, you know, Gabe timed, he, he timed Wanda's kind of in and out movements, caught him with the right. Wanda went in for a shot after getting stunned. And, and I'd say the way Gabe, the way you, you transitioned to a guillotine choke, it was, it was, that was some like next level jujitsu. I distinctly remember I was going to sprawl, but I'm like, I've got this. And I'm like, should I jump like guard on Vonderbraga? But I'm like, I, I've got this and I've got a pretty good guillotine. Like I, I've got this, you know? And uh, cause yeah, I remember I, I cracked him and he took a lazy shot and I sprawled on it initially and I went around the neck and I was, and I distinctly remember being like, should I do this? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it played out okay for me on that one. Okay. So at UFC 118, uh, Terry Adam pulls out against Joe Lauzon. And you take, you make your UFC return, which honestly, it was, it was kind of shocking, you know, for us, you know, <laughs> nerds, because, yeah. Yeah. you know, the way you were portrayed, it was, you know, you heard Dana White said, you're never going to fight here again. And you put together, that Wanda Braga and the fights previous, you put together a nice little run where they couldn't deny you. Wanda Braga was supposed to get to the UFC. You finished him. Not only beat him, you finished him. So now you get his opportunity. Uh, well, then Lenny Lovato was uh, I, for the, the uh, TPF. He was 10 and 0 at the time. Um, and he was going to be, be, be uh, I, you know, I was his ticket into the UFC as well. But so th there was two guys in a row like that. That is correct. Row that were going to be like the next guys. And so I think that they're like, okay, maybe we'll give him another shot. Um, so, but so, uh, go ahead. So Joe Lozan, you guys had some bad blood between you. Um, you, you know what? Uh, we were on the show together. And uh, after the fact, Joe kind of threw me under the bus. Um, I, I didn't have any real issue with him on the show, but then uh, kind of what, it, what he had said after the fact kind of bothered me. Um, um, and we trained on the show and I, I, I look, I, training's training, but, but I, I felt very, very comfortable uh, after the training sessions that I could, you know. I, so that fight, um, I, after my the Lenny Lovato fight, um, my back was a mess and I was doing spinal uh, decompression I had spent a month doing nothing but but trying to rehab my back. And uh, my manager calls me and he's like, hey, dude, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what's up? He's like, you want to fight Joe Lazon in three weeks? I'm like, dude, I haven't trained in a month. I don't know even what my weight is. And so... Uh, <laughs> right, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I stepped on the scale. I was 171. And I'm like, three weeks, 171. All I'm going to be doing is cutting weight. But... I felt that I could beat Joe, you know, I really could. And uh, um, so I went and I got, uh, I got uh, uh, cortisone shots in my back. I felt like a million bucks, like, oh, everything, everything's great and back to work. So uh, I spent three <laughs> weeks uh, cutting weight and uh, I, I actually game plan for Joe, which is what I should not have done. I should have just met him in the middle and fought him the way I fight. But I tried to game plan, which is just fucking stupid. And uh, you know, Joe hit me. Joe's tough. He's tough. I, I give him credit. He hit me with a left hook, which kind of dazed me. And then I distinctly remember when Joe took me down, I got to my guard. I'm like, okay, I can relax. And Joe's like, no, you can't, motherfucker. And he's just like shark, you know, like with blood in the water. He just uh, took, took me out. And, and Chris, he's so deceiving. Like we had Mike Brown on and he's yeah. like, 
yeah, I, I almost quit fighting after I lost to Joe because you know, I just didn't think he was that good. <laughs> I mean, I, look, Joe's a gangster, man. and I, Yeah, he's tough. I, I, I would still like that fight back. I would love to fight him again. I, uh, I, I still feel like maybe at one point I'll have to knock on his knock on his gym door and be like, come on, let's just put on the gloves and do it one more time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, again, like I just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's in me. I, I can't let that go. But uh, yeah, it was, it was really unfortunate. Um, you know, taking a fight on three weeks notice, no matter what is, is hard. And, and, you know, against Joe Lazon in Boston. Holy shit. Good luck. Dude, I coming from LA, I didn't realize I, I, th- th- those mass holes are ruthless, ruthless mass holes. You, you mother's a slut, a fucking mouth, you bitch. Fucking walking out to just horrible. Like, you, hear, you hear everybody like, and they're all like, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a hostile, hostile territory. <laughs> yeah. So, what are your training partners that also interest me? Is uh, man, I'd love to sit down and talk with them. Alberto Crane. Yeah, I, Alberto, uh, I trained with Alberto at, uh, at Team Quest. I actually Yeah, what, what was that? What was it like training with him and, and your experience at his gym? Um, so the funny thing is um, Javier Vasquez was my roommate. And Alberto had beat Javi for the King of the Cage title. And Javi hated him. Not Like, it, it was more <laughs> of a competitive rivalry. It wasn't so much that, like, you know, it, look, you beat me, so, like, I want that back. And so – that was how I, I you know, I, I saw Alberto at tournaments and stuff, but I wasn't friendly with him. But uh, uh, Javi then ended up beating him at the Abu Dhabi trials. And then I ended up uh, becoming friendly with, with Alberto. And then uh, we trained together at Team Quest. And uh, he's a great guy, man. He's a very, very good jiu-jitsu player. Um, it was Incredibly great. intelligent. Because, uh, you know, Team Quest is wrestlers and all really, really big wrestlers. You know, it was like Dan Henderson, uh, Mo Lawal. Uh, uh, you know, uh, there, there wasn't a lot of guys that were my size. And so to have a black belt in jiu-jitsu was, was great. Uh, and uh, Alberta's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Very intelligent. Very intelligent guy. Yeah. Guy. No, for sure. Great gym uh, in Burbank. Actually, uh, you know, I went and actually did his podcast uh, maybe like seven, eight months ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant mind. You know, I'll definitely. I'll tell him to hit you up. I'm sure he'd be happy. Oh, man, I'll definitely take him in a minute, dude. Yeah, definitely. So, Chris, that brings us to the end, my man. All right. Hey, man, um, you know, I love hearing the old school. That's why we do this, man. I, a lot of people will never understand what you're talking about, fighting in 2001, fighting whoever was there, fighting weight classes up. Um, that's not – those days are dead, and that's why we love doing this. We love having guys like you on here who are just uh, true fighters, my man. So – um, I loved it when we got to hang out back in WEC days. And, uh, and just thank you for being on here and, and sharing your stories. But I appreciate it. Oh, no, man. It was awesome. Like, I, I, I remember uh, I got your number when I, because you fought Savant Young in the WC, then I fought Savant Young afterwards. And yep. I gave you a call and, like, you're like, man, I, I can't give you much, but, uh, you know, he's tough and gave me a, you gave me a little bit of a, uh, but it was, it was cool. Like, just in a time frame, like, for, for me, I, like, I, I knew who you were, man. Like, I like to, to call Chris Lytle up uh, out of the blue and be like, Hey, I'm fighting the same guy. It was, it, it, it's the, the time frame that we fought is, is something that no one else will understand. And I, and I, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm thankful for it as well. Man, you know, it was such a small community back then, like you said, and, and like you said, that the popularity wasn't there. So I never looked at us as being anything besides just normal guys. And so you calling was just totally, you know, it was just totally normal. I didn't see us being like anything different besides buddy. You know what I mean? So, it was just a different era. Now, now it might not be like that. I don't know. It's just different. 
I think it's a lot different now. And uh, but but I, I think there's a raw energy to it and real. I I, I think that uh, uh, a buddy of mine just said there's athletes and there's fighters, right? And in the group that we come up with, those guys were fighters. You know what I mean? Now we had we had guys that were athletes as well, but you had to have a fighter spirit. You had to have the ability to you know what? Whatever happens, you fucking get in there and go. And so, bro, you know, I, I always tell people about the, 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 the bare knuckle I do commentary for the BKFC right now. And I keep telling people that's like a lot of UFC fights now. It's an athletic contest and bare knuckle. It's always a fist fight. That's it's just two guys who want to fight. You know, we don't get this pure athletes trying to outpoint people. We get people trying to knock people's head off typically. And, and that's one thing I love. It, it, it's a throwback to the old. MMA days, no, the NHB days when it was no holds barred, not MMA. Exactly. I didn't know the hell MMA was. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Exactly. So, so, Gabe, would you consider yourself a jujitsu guy that did MMA or an MMA guy that like advanced, you know, pretty high in the jujitsu circles? Ooh, yeah. So, uh, I'm probably a jujitsu guy that did MMA. I mean, that's what I'm like, thinking too. And, and it, that's that's no slight on you. Oh, it's, no, I, well, listen, I, I will tell you this: there are there aren't very many of us. That, 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 that competed at a high level. Now there are some, but I mean, like uh, when, when I started this, when watching the UFC back in the day, like the idea of fighting and uh, using jiu-jitsu as, as your base, like no one, who's, who's a jiu-jitsu fighter now? Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that their base is jiu-jitsu. Nobody, there's nobody that's like, like their base is jiu-jitsu. Like the idea of like, you know, you had Damian Mai, but Damian Mai's career is over. Uh, and I, mean, I don't mean that in, in, in disrespect to Damian Mai whatever, whatsoever, but I mean like, you know, but like, um, I I uh, I went in there 100 percent with like uh, the jiu-jitsu banner on my back, and obviously like I can strike, I can wrestle, I can do everything like that. Um, but I run a jiu-jitsu school now, and I still put the gi on every day. And uh, you know, I I but I will say this about my jiu-jitsu school, I I fucking hate sport jiu-jitsu, like the <laughs> idea of like jumping to to deep half and holding on for points. That's uh. bullshit. Like I want a fighter. I want a guy that's gonna go in there and look to fucking finish. I, one thing about health, I'll, I'll tell you, when I was a, I think I was a white belt, I went and I want to turn, I want a, a match 22 to zero. And, and I came up to give Halfa like a hug. Like I came in to, and he slapped me in the back of the head. And I go, I won. He goes, motherfucker, how do you get 22 points and not submit a motherfucker? You <laughs> I was like, yeah. but, but I won. And like, but that stuck with me. Like, you not good me. enough. You're yeah. there to fight. Like, you're there to, like, the idea, it's there to fight. You know what I mean? Like, and jiu-jitsu, uh, the idea of, of, of jiu-jitsu as a fighting art shouldn't be lost. No, agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's like that Rob Kahn school of thought. Like, now okay. we, we do jiu-jitsu to fight in order to either defend ourselves or, you know. Rob, Rob is one of my closest friends. and, and uh, Great guy. We have stories for days. So. <laughs> Great guy. Yeah, very, very, very good guy. All right. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks once again. And uh, take care, brother. Be good. All right, man. Be good, brother. Thanks, Gabe.